queuing up. And it's quiet for a couple of minutes, and then he calls down, and he says, Daddy, come up here. I'm all by myself. His father responds, don't worry, I'll be up in a minute. Harry waits a few more seconds before saying even more anxiously the same words. And this time his mother responds, and she says, you aren't by yourself. Just think about God being with you. There was a pause as he thought, and then that little voice from upstairs, but mummy, I can't see God. I can't see God, neither can we. And sometimes we're overwhelmed with how hidden God can be. Sometimes God seems to be playing hide and seek with us. Sometimes we may even wonder, is God there at all? So what do we do when God seems to have brought us out into a desert, a place where he seems absent and then abandoned us? Let's take a closer look at today's story from Exodus. The Israelites had followed Moses out of Egypt and they'd seen many miraculous signs from God. Through the 10 plagues, God had shown that he was greater than all the objects and created things that the Egyptians worshipped as gods. They had seen Moses go off up the mountain to meet with God But Moses had now been missing for 40 days. Had he died up there? Had God got angry with him? Was God even still there? How could they possibly go into the promised land without God and without Moses? Now they were still learning about God, about who he was, could he be trusted? Was he actually on their side? How often have you wondered if you actually know God at all? He seems very real one minute, right in front of us, and then absent the next. Whenever we think that we've worked him out, he surprises us. God is so much bigger. Which is why, if you were asked to draw a picture of God, or to make a sculpture of God, what would it look like? Would you actually be able to do that? The second commandment warns us against creating an image and worshipping it, even if that image is supposed to represent God and to help us in our worship of him. Why does it matter? I wonder if it's because any object can't possibly represent God. It would be reducing God, the God of the universe, and putting him in front of us, as if we could do that, putting him in a box of our own making. I found several sites online about how to create your own God. One is called Steps to Creating Your Own God. One, what do you want your God to be like? They had examples of what you might want, evil, strong, merciful, etc. What do you want their worshippers to be like? Because apparently worshippers reflect their God. What do you want him or her or whatever animal they look like, to look like. You get the idea. And there were loads of them. Couldn't believe how many sites did that. Now, Jacob 
made a wonderful Lego kit of Danny for his birthday. Some of you may have seen it on Facebook. And it made me wonder if we sometimes try and build God out of lots of Lego parts. We've got them all laid out in front of us. We've got all different colors, all different shapes. Some of them are from the Bible. Some of them from the world around us. Some of them from what we've been taught over the years and what we've heard. And we try and select all the bits and create something out of them. Leaving out the bits we don't quite know what to do with. Perhaps we might even realize that we've got missing parts. Now, the Lego kit that Jacob designed isn't Danny. From the photos, I would say it's about that big for a start. <laughs> much, much smaller. But it's pretty good because it was designed by his son, who knows him very well. But it's still not Danny, and it can't play the guitar. And it can't stand in for him today, because one of the things you may not know is Danny's very ill. Um, and Sarah was called last minute to step in, so, which he has done marvellously at both services. So we'll pray for Danny later. So the Israelites needed something to reassure them of God's presence, something that they could see and touch. Worshipping an invisible God is hard, and we shouldn't fool ourselves into imagining that we should just be able to do it. How can you follow God when you can't see him? God recognized this, so he gave them signs. There was the smoke and the fire as a visible sign of his presence. But smoke and fire are also a bit elusive. You can't quite see them. You can't see what the God who is behind them looks like. But what the Israelites chose to do was to create a golden calf like those they'd seen in Egypt. And they made it out of the jewellery from their slave masters from Egypt. How ironic. You've got the God of the universe or a golden calf. Not much of a choice. What on earth were they thinking? Psalm 106 mocks them and says, they exchanged their glorious God for the image of a bull which eats grass. They may well have known it wasn't a God. And Aaron's words still lead them in worshipping Yahweh, the Lord. So maybe the calf was supposed to be a visual aid to worship, something they could put in front of them as they worshipped God. We sometimes do the same. In the absence of a visible God, we gather up what we have and what we can see, and we create something to help our worship to provide an environment where God will meet with us. Maybe a cross, we've got one at the back, maybe a song, maybe a church building. God knows our need for the physical, for things that we can touch, for things that we can see. He sent his son, Jesus, to live and walk among us, to tell stories about ordinary things like seed, to give us a glimpse of what the kingdom of God is like to show us what God is like, who understood Thomas, who wanted to reach in and touch his wounds, to know that he was real. But more than this, he sent his Holy Spirit to guide us and assure us at all times of God's presence, to lead us in that journey, like the Israelites were, of getting to know 
who God is. But that same spirit led Jesus into the wilderness and sometimes stopped the disciples going where they thought that they were supposed to go. And he sometimes leads us into places where God seems absent. When we might cry out like Jesus did on the cross, those words from the psalm, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Times when God doesn't seem to be leading us, and the way ahead seems uncertain, even impossible. Times that lead us to rethink who God is. A journey that the disciples went on on that Easter Saturday. We don't actually stop on Easter Saturday because we don't have a service that covers this. But everything seemed lost. Their leader was gone. The promises of God seemed false. Times when we might be tempted to resort to depending on other things. But do we really want a golden calf instead of God? So what do we do when the hiddenness, that, the way that we can't see God, really overwhelms us? Let's go back to the story. What was actually happening during those 40 days? Where was God and what was he doing? He was teaching Moses. He was setting out the way that he would have relationship with his people and that they would have relationship with each other to be that community of God. He hadn't abandoned them, just the opposite. And we really need to know that. Every one of us needs to know that. Just because we can't see or hear God doesn't mean he isn't there, and it doesn't mean he has abandoned us. Those disciples on Easter Saturday also had to give something up. They had to give up their idea of a Messiah. They thought Messiah was going to come in and was going to get rid of the Romans, get rid of the occupation, and release them from that. We may, too, have to let go of what we think God should be doing for us at this time, in case we, too, build a golden calf in our attempts to control God, in our attempts to make him into what we need him to be for us. And wait on him. We're not usually very patient. I'm not very patient. But that waiting time is so important. God is at work in that waiting time. And sometimes in that waiting time, he's giving us the time and the space to open up the sides of that box that we've put him in so that he can appear before us so much bigger, so much more than the way that we've tried to confine him. There are loads of instances in the Psalms about waiting on the Lord. Go and have a look. There are tons of them. Here's just one from Psalm 27. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Remember what the disciples saw and learnt on Easter Sunday. Jesus had come to do so much more than to get rid of the Romans. And often a bigger vision comes after a time of silence, when God seems to have withdrawn, and a time of desert can be a time of growth, if we allow it to be. 
a time of growth in us and a time of growth in our understanding and our vision of God. But I do wonder whether the Israelites really felt that God had gone or whether it was just that God wasn't doing what they thought he should be doing at that time. Whether they thought they couldn't depend on God to provide a leader, Moses, to take them into land and they needed to take matters into their own hand to appoint their own leader, Aaron, and to build their own image of God, the golden calf so that they could carry it before them as they went into the land to scare away their enemies. But, just in case, they sacrificed to Yahweh as well. Better to be safe than sorry. Maybe that's a bit unfair of me, but maybe not. Are we interested more in what God can do for us than in a relationship with him? Are we more interested in a God that we can control and contain, that we can get our heads around, who won't ask us to do anything difficult or take over our lives? I remember when I first became a Christian and my father said to me, that's great, but don't let it take over your life. (laughs) Do we think that God is there to make our life easier? Do we worship the things that God has done for us more than God himself? Perhaps we worship our own faith or the things that we've done. Perhaps we worship the worship experience itself. Would we worship him if we still felt nothing at all? A big ask, maybe. But the Israelites' celebrations were party And some say that that word party actually means orgy, so they were really enjoying themselves here. Obviously an extreme, but their worship was more for their own satisfaction and experience than it was a sacrifice to God. I find that one hard. I want to experience God. Is that so wrong? No, of course not. But we do need to be aware that it has to remain about God. It's not about us. One of the things I've learned over the last three years on my training course is how to worship in lots of different ways. And some of them were really hard at first for me. Louisa's grinning because she knows. (laughs) But if we can worship God, whatever the setting, that is a wonderful blessing. And I now can. And my vision of who God is has changed. And my relationship has grown. And I think sometimes if we come round and we come and we see God from another angle, from another side, if we approach him from another side, we see something new of who God is. And that's what I've learned. So let's try and pull together. What can we do when we're tempted to make a golden calf? When the God that is up there doesn't seem to be in front of us and we don't know what to do. Can I have the slide, please, Ralph? Thank you. I said it before, no. This is perhaps the most important thing. It's the thing we all struggle with at some point in our lives, even if we're not struggling with it now. We need to know that God is here. Even if we can't see him or we can't hear him at the moment, if the path that we're walking is difficult, God is here. Even if our view of him is obscured. Wait. I've said that's a really hard one for me. I'm not very patient. 
wait on the Lord. It's something God's people have had to do. You know, we read in the Bible again and again, how long, Lord, how long? But we need to wait on the Lord and accept that during that time, God is at work. I referred to Psalm 27. There are loads of psalms about waiting. Seek. Sometimes we need to lift our eyes up and look around us to see where God is at work in the world and in people. It can see us. Let us see God in new ways. Risk. Another difficult one. Are we prepared to take the risk to open up the box, to open our vision of who God is, to accept that it's fragile, and to let him give us new idea of who he is. Because there's no way that we can ever fully know the God of the universe. And expect, be expectant. There is always resurrection and new vision. It might take a long time to come, but we should always expect resurrection and transformation because that's who God is. That's his very nature. He is a God who transforms. There is so much more than what we see today. God is so much bigger. That's an important thing to always think wherever we are. God is so much bigger than this. God is indescribable. Many people have tried. There's loads of words and images. But when we run out of words and we run out of images, when we stop relying on ourselves and what we do and what we've tried before because it's not working now, when we stop trying to squeeze God into our understanding and expectations, maybe when God seems absent, maybe then we can continue the journey into being overwhelmed by the wonder of God. Maybe then we can truly worship God, the God who meets with us in the bread and the wine, the one that we inadequately call Father, understanding that he is so much more than that. Thank you, Helen, for your words and for those very challenging questions. I suppose many of us, maybe all of us, have experienced times when God has seemed very far from us. And it's hard, 